You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Invite you to turn again to scriptures. We're we're in Philippians four, and uh, just kind of plodding along slowly, slowly. So if you turn to Philippians four, verse four, I'm going to read four through nine today. Even though our focus is going to be just on the first two verses. So Philippians four four through nine. If you're turning there, I think we've got a few pictures from a couple weeks worth. And I know Lincoln's not here this morning, so pass this on uh, to Lincoln. This is from last week. This is that, I think it's that quote from Spurgeon, kind of true, but not. That's discernment. Discerning things that are kind of true, but not. And then duct tape. That's great. That, that illustration that Mill talked about, the layers of compassion hearts and kindness and gent- these layers of loving one another and like duct tape. They got it. So that's pretty cool. And then from a couple weeks ago, I think this also was from Lincoln. Um, that is a fire up there. We talked about, uh, we were talking about conflict here, the conflict of Judea and Syntyche. And Lincoln uh, drew out, uh, why are you fighting? Please stop. Uh, he's got fuel for a fire up there. We talked about the fuel of conflict and sparks and that sort of thing. Uh, I thought this was interesting down at the bottom. That's the surgeon with the axe saying, I think he says, this won't hurt a bit. <laughs> and, but the patient says, I don't care. Do, do not something. Maybe he's like, do not, and then it was over. But talked about that, that scalpel of cutting. In a conflict, when we gently restore, when we need to approach someone, we don't need to come with an axe, we come with a gentle cut and, uh, and in there. Thank you, Caleb, for showing that. Well, hopefully by now you're at Philippians 4. Let's, let's do, let's first hear from God's Word. And I'll read through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray for us again. Lord, it is good to be back with your people here in this geographic location of Leroy in the area. Lord, we thank you for your mercies uh, every morning. They are new, faithfulness throughout the ages. So we thank you for that today. We thank you that we have your word to study. Lord, we thank you that it's the gospel of Jesus that a sinner can even come to preach today or sinners can come to worship. Lord, be it not for the blood of Christ, for his righteousness. We, we have no standing. We cannot sing worship to you, sing songs of praise. We cannot read your word. We cannot understand you unless you save us. So we celebrate today above anything the, the gospel that brings us back to you. 
Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you that we can stand made right in the blood of Christ before you. Lord, guide our time. Guide us to understand uh, what, what is hard here. Guide us to apply, Lord, what we're reading before us. And again, as we pray often, that we would not leave here as those who look in a mirror and then don't change anything and just walk away. But we would look in the mirror of your scripture today. Lord, what's, what's out of place in us? What is, what is just not right in our lives that you're wanting to adjust, that we would bring you glory, that, that, that our joy would be fuller as we abide in you. So guide us as we study your word today. We would ask this by your spirit that you'd move here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, even though I, in a former career, was a pilot, I never totally got used to the turbulence that you get when you fly. Some of you maybe just hate that. It wasn't like every time flying turbulence, I'd get scared as a pilot, you know, I'd just freak out. But it's never quite comfortable. Turbulence is just, um, it's there. It's, it, it can be unnerving, especially for passengers who can't see ahead sitting in the back. Turbulence is particularly unnerving. There was one particular flight where it got terrible. Uh, I was on a on a flight, a twin turboprop, it took, took some business guys out from Wichita to Denver, Colorado for maybe the weekend or a couple days, maybe during the week, I can't remember. We were out there, and it was one of those typical Midwest days where, spring days, where you've got the snow in the Rockies, so it was snowing where we're departing, we're getting ready to come back home to Wichita from Denver. It's snowing there, so you got to deal with that. And then on the way back, deal with the, the springtime storms that, that pop up and just grow as these fronts go through the Midwest. And so it's like dealing with this weather, both places. We got loaded up. It's actually the snow was really minor compared to the flight. I'm flying these guys uh, back to Wichita. We're maybe at 20,000 feet. Just me in the airplane flying them along. It's kind of one of these sales flights, like kind of you a test fly, you know, like do we really want to buy into this airplane? And, and I see some storms up ahead. And the salesman that I am, you know, I'm, I'm going, hey, look at that storm. We're, we're above. We're going to go right around it. We'll be in. Just kind of, you know, I'm not into sales pitch, but, you know, I thought, well, I can point this out. This is pretty nice, you know. Well, we go around it, and we're heading down into Wichita. And it's at that time that we enter just, just a low kind of cloud area, something I was just like, well, there's some clouds. And as, I think as soon as we entered those clouds, I was up against my seatbelt. Things were, you know, flying around in the airplane. This little stall, the red light. Red lights are always bad everywhere. That red light's coming on. The horns, I'm trying to do the power back and forth. Ice, the, the wings kind of iced up quick. And it's just, it was, it was scary. And we got through it, though. It, it, was, it was probably the scariest one I can remember. But we got, we got through it. And uh, checked on the passengers. You guys okay? And yeah, we're okay. You, you know. And uh, they never quite bought into the airplane. That, that sales didn't work out. And, uh, but my company didn't fire me. But that's not the point. The point is we encounter sometimes unknowingly turbulence in our spiritual life, in our lives in general. That's why I experienced there. I thought, hey, it's easy going. We're going to go around here. No problem. I, th- I think we were probably crossing a front line and that's what happened there. But we as believers face turbulent times. And I don't just mean turbulent times in terms of the year 2020, although it, is, it certainly counts, doesn't it, for turbulent 
times. So you might think of political things going on as worth thinking through turbulent times or your own life. But really, turbulent times, bumpy times, have existed ever since man in the garden said, it's my will, I will choose to do this instead of thy will, to your will. And so we've been faced with a certain bit of turbulence around us ever since then in the world. Some we can avoid. Some, like my flight, takes us by surprise and we're rocked against the seatbelt of our faith. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, at first glance, maybe at first glance as you read through it, doesn't seem to be talking about turbulence. There's no Greek word for turbulence. Uh, so it's, you don't find that word in here. But I think if you look deeper, you're going to see that theme in here. There's a theme. Look at verse 5. The end of verse 5 says, The Lord is at, at hand. He's near. Or verse 7, And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Or verse 9, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I think underlying Paul's gracious commands. What, you got peace twice here? The Lord is at hand. These, these sorts of encouraging, rejoice in the Lord we're going to look at. Underlying these commands, there's a tension. There's a turbulence going on, both surrounding the Philippian church as well as perhaps just brewing in their own hearts and their minds. That's the peace Paul's directing. Hey, he got brewing turbulence. There's, there's peace here. It's in God. So there's a turbulence. Maybe disagreement, like we looked at with Yodia and Syntyche. Anxiousness, verse 6. Or just minds in the gutter, I mean, verses 8 through 9, saying, take your mind back from where it is to where it needs to be. It needs to be on the Lord. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look through this section with this thought that God alone provides this lasting peace in turbulent times. God alone provides lasting peace in turbulent times. Whether your turbulence is light chop, that's what the pilots call, just kind of that repetitive, kind of just bouncy, nothing's wrong, it's just bouncy, light chop, or it's severe, and you want to let everybody else know, i got severe turbulence going on. Either one of those, we have direction from God's Word. And I think here, as, as well as so many places, what Milt read all throughout Scripture but particular as we study Philippians right here for navigating turbulence in our lives. So this week, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 5. There's a call here to rejoice in God's nearness. So if we were to give ours to these, which I know pastors were prone to do this. I don't know why. It's just, it's just in us. But we're, we're, this week, we're looking at rejoicing in God's nearness. Next week, as we look familiar, verses 6 through 7, do not be anxious, as we look at that, we're going to look at the call to request God's aid, to request his aid, and then we're going to finish this section, verses 8 through 9, with a, with a call to rehearse what you already know. So we're kind of taking maybe what could be a three-parter uh, over the next three weeks and look at this rejoicing in God's nearness, requesting his aid, and then rehearsing what we already know about the Lord. So let's come back to our particular text for this week, verses 4 through 5. And again, verse 4, and this familiar phrase that we've already seen just in the chapter beforehand. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's coming up. Time goes fast. Three months since we started back on Sunday, uh, May 31st, after we were our hiatus away from one another. But on that Sunday, 
lo and behold, you remember what I preached on? It was Philippians 3.1, and it's the same phrase. 3.1 had this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. That was our first message, really, of the summer. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And it's the same phrase that Paul here again, he repeats, and he repeats it two times. It's a command. There's an imperative. Do something, and the doing is to rejoice in the Lord. I think I mentioned something like this last time, but one Greek lexicon dictionary defines joy, rejoicing here, is to be in a state of happiness and well-being, to rejoice or to be glad, to be glad. And when we spoke of rejoicing, we spoke back in chapter 3, I mentioned just several reasons for our joy, but I think at the heart of joy is what I prayed about even this morning, that we are reconciled to God. At the heart of it, that's, our joy is that we are reconciled to God. Here's what Robert Dean, he puts it this way, joy is the fruit of a right relation with God. Joy is a fruit of a right relation with God. So things may be falling apart around us, walls caving in, the walls we thought are caving in, the side-by-side, even Hannah was talking about, caving in, all these, these things around us, pressure within, pressure without, yet we still can rejoice for through Christ, through faith in Christ, we're now citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We're cleansed of our sin. We have a a righteousness of Christ. It's what Paul has been talking about by which we might stand before the Lord of glory. There's joy just in that, that we might stand before the Lord. So true joy, and maybe we we know this here, but we've got to know it here, it's not dependent on simply experiencing good times in life. As much as we think that, right, we're joyful when things are going well. What's your day when you go, it's one of those days. What do we mean? It's one of those, this is a terrible day. Joy is something different than just good, bad times. God's type of joy and rejoicing is not dependent on our circumstances. Praise the Lord. But it's a present reality despite those circumstances. I want you to listen to the way Gerald Hawthorne, he puts it in terms of what joy means. I've put some of these up here, some of my longer quotes today, so you can read along if you want to. He says this, Joy is an understanding of existence that encompasses both elation and depression, that can accept with creative submission events which bring delight or dismay, because joy allows one to, and this is we're honing in here, joy allows one to see beyond any particular event to the sovereign Lord who stands above all events and ultimately has control over them. It's that phrase in there, to see beyond, that caught my attention in what uh, Hawthorne wrote here. Joy, God's joy, helps us see beyond the turbulence See beyond the immediate pain or dismay and look to our sovereign Lord. Paul calls it rejoicing in the Lord. And I think even here there's a tie, tie into joy here and then even at the end of our particular section, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. We'll look at that in a little bit when we get there. So the basis of our joy, the anchor of it, 
must be the Lord. A couple references again. These are different than what I used before, but Nehemiah 8, joy in the Lord is linked to strength. Uh, In Nehemiah, uh, the leaders of the people say, don't be grieved. They say, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy, whose? Of the Lord. Psalm 92.4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Joy, rejoicing, they're anchored in Jesus as Lord. Strength is found in the joy of the Lord. Gladness, singing for joy, are found in meditating on the works of the Lord. What has He done? And so Paul's familiar phrase, even from chapter 3, I count everything as lost because of the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And And you see that kind of underneath again rejoicing in the Lord. This is all in a book, this book of Philippians that calls us, like Paul, to honor Christ whether in life or death. Where living, we've said many times, living here equals Christ. So the result is, we're not surprised, finding our joy in the, the Lord. And isn't our joy, I mean, it's just, it's a measuring stick for us. Our joy is a measuring stick to determine just who we are living for. Turbulent times, maybe are in your life right now or on their way. And the call is for us to rejoice in the Lord. And if my joy is centered on today's a good day, a bad day, the election. I mean, there's, there's lots of turbulent stuff going on. Lots of things. We want to help see beyond that to our sovereign Lord once again. You might ask, how often should we rejoice? What's Paul say? Always. He says always, literally at all times, rejoice in the Lord. Times of conflict? Like Paul described, Judea, Syntyche. Should we rejoice in times of suffering? Times of hardship and despair? Times of feeling like your life will be taken? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. All times. Rejoicing is not to be like Mr. Rogers who came into the house, right? And he took off the coat, put on his, I don't know what you call it, his other coat for the day. And then he came back and took change and went home. We don't, we come to church and joy, joy, I'm okay. It's joy. Man, I hate, you know, it's, it's permeates. That doesn't mean things are all going well. It means there's a permeating joy in the Lord through us. A 24-7 joy made possible only because of who our joy is in. It's in the 24-7 God. If we do not have a 24-7 God, our joy is very, I hope he's still awake. I hope he's there. He's there all the time. And he will live forever. So a question, why does Paul repeat the command? It says rejoice. And again, I'll say rejoice. And I think he repeats it just in case we or they reading missed it, perhaps daydreaming or distracting distracted. Paul reiterates the command here. He says, again, I will say rejoice. The repetition is emphasis. And we see that in literature when we read it and we see these things repeated, we've got emphasis. So is Paul serious about their gladness and joy? He's absolutely he is. 
One commentator says, The Pauline appeals to joy are never simply encouragements. This is interesting. He says, They throw back the distressed churches on their Lord. They are, above all, appeals to faith. Paul's appealing to faith. So then, in other words, I I think you could, and we're not substituting, these are the words God has, but as we think about it, perhaps you could substitute in here, instead of rejoice in the Lord always, you could substitute believe in the Lord always. Again, I will say believe, or trust in the Lord always. Again, I will say trust. You've got joy, or trust, or belief, or faith. What do all these do? They see beyond the particular event to the sovereign Lord. And seeing beyond the present circumstance not only affects our joy, but it affects how we deal with others. And that's the next command of verse 5. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness, some of you be gentle of spirit or your gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The wording here shifts a bit in verse 5 in this way. Paul's command is, in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord, has with it a continuous idea of action. Like presently, you you have been rejoicing, continue in this, keep doing it. Whereas in verse 5, when it says, let your reasonableness, let it be made known, it's gnosis to know, let it be made known, it, it has with it an idea of begin to do this and keep doing it. Kind of a start this up. So there's a little difference here between the two. But he's calling them, start this, be reasonable, be gentle, and then continue it on. Have this spirit in you. One uh, lexicon, again, defines reasonableness. There's a couple ways to think about it. One, I thought this is interesting. Reasonableness or gentleness means not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom. Not insisting on every Thing, on every right of letter of law or custom, to be reasonable, to be gentle. Okay, I could, you know, not that we hold truths like, well, whatever you want to, but not that kind, but just in a disagreement, okay, we take it, we're, we're gentle. Right, another one said uh, pertaining to being gracious. Um, graciousness, forbearing. So in the New Testament use of this word, a couple places, we won't go there, but just to kind of sum up, uh, some places the call, it sets it up against bad things. So the call is not to be violent, but gentle. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. And then in James 3, it says, the wisdom from above, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. That's kind of our word here, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Does rejoicing lead to this reasonableness? This Ralph Martin thinks so. Here's one more quote. Thank you, Caleb. You're doing great back there. He says this, Perhaps graciousness is the best English equivalent, and in the context here, it is to be the spirit of willingness to yield under trial, which will show itself in a refusal to retaliate when attacked. It may have seemed an impossible ideal to the Philippians, but the preceding verse is a reminder that such a quality 
is the outshining of joy in the Lord, as Michaelis puts it, some other commentary. Okay, so reasonable as gentleness, kind of the outshining of joy in the Lord. One whose joy is in the Lord, you get your joy in the Lord, you are not dependent on how you're treated or your rights or insisting on your own way, and you're going to show forth fruit of gentleness and reasonableness. But I think it's also tied to this short sentence that comes right after it. Now, in the Greek, it's a short sentence, the Lord is at hand. My ESV has a semicolon there. I don't think it's unseparate from the rest of it. That's all kind of, this is what's hard, you know, and Paul, how do you fit all these things together? But it's a short sentence, the Lord. There's really not even a verb there. It's just the Lord at hand. Just kind of, it, it, it would appear to be kind of a central thought here to anchor some things. And we know that now. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. There seems to be two ways to look at this phrase, the Lord is at hand. One is that this is describing the nearness of the Lord, how, how spatially close He is to it. My, like He walks with me, that kind of idea. He is near me. So that's an idea. The other way is more of timing, that the Lord's return is near. His coming is at hand. He will come back soon. And we know it's soon, right? To the, to the Lord... A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is to a day. So, so theoretically, it's just been two days since he went back to the Father. So we're not even a third day yet. Um, so it could be soon any time. Most see it this way in, in terms of timing. The Lord is near in terms of his return. So the Lord is coming soon. So be reasonable, be gentle. How does this return of the Lord, how does his nearness, and and I think we could put in there his closeness. We know Emmanuel, God with us. Both of those are there. But how does this encourage us in gentleness? How do we think through this? One writer proposes this, so bear with me. We're going to dig a little deep and get a little maybe technical, but we're going to burn some brain cells just for a little bit here. And try to think this through. I'll try to illustrate as well how this, how does the Lord's coming and our gentleness match up? And here's what he says. So, Kayla, we've got our last quotes here. I've got two slides of these. You can follow along with me there or just listen to it as I read. Here's what he talks about. He says, Christ is an example as the revealer of divine and royal majesty. In other words, Christ makes known the majesty of, God, he's the revealer. As the heavenly king, Philippians 2, 5, we've been there, he is gentle as only one who has full power can be. Then he goes on to say, I'm skipping a little bit in here, but he says the weak are always anxiously trying to defend their power and dignity. He who has heavenly authority can display saving, forgiving, and redeeming clemency even to his personal enemies. Now he comes to us. But Paul and the community have also a heavenly calling, that heavenly citizenship, right? They too must display reasonableness and gentleness. Now the next slide. Thank you. He goes on to say, because the Lord is at hand, and I'm kind of translating some Greek. He put some Greek stuff in here, so I'm just translating out. Because the Lord is at hand, 
And the final glory promised to Christians will soon be a manifest reality. They can be gentle towards all men in spite of every persecution. Faith in their hidden heavenly plentitude of light and power and life produces a saving gentleness. It is the earthly counterpart of the heavenly glory. Hence, it is not weakness or sentimentality. It is the earthly outworking of an eschatological possession. Oh, my. Okay, Herbert. Herbert, you got kind of some big words for us. What's, what's he saying? I think if I'm understanding and trying to sort out what's going on here, because one is joined to the glory of God in the heavenly realms, i.e., he's a citizen, he or she is a citizen of heaven, he or she can deal with suffering, persecution, insults, hardships, with a peace not afforded to those who on earth, or those on earth, we've got to fight, you want to fight, in a sense, um, for their glory. Let me, let me try to put this in an illustration. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll make sense. Imagine you're out on a lake. And I know we're using like transportation illustrations today, uh, the airplanes or whatever, but we were on a lake on a vacation. And uh, imagine you're out on a lake in, in one of these, let's call it a big lake, in a rowboat. The oars are kind of terrible. They're squeaking. Uh, you've got one of those cement anchors, you know, up front in those old rowboats that you throw over. It's just you're out there doing this. And all the while, you've got like those, those beautiful new pontoon boats and the speed just going through, just gliding along. And every wave they make, you're on the, just on the rowboat, just going, I wish we just had a motor, something, you know, and, and we're rowing along. It's hard to even steer as you do this. It's hard to, to work through that. It's hard to steer straight. For believers, think of yourself in that rowboat. Out on that lake, you've got these waves, speedboats of life, whatever, around. You've got waves coming to your rowboat that look like maybe opposition or persecution or even just mild disregard. Here's what some of the waves say to you, dear Christian, in your rowboat. Waves that maybe say, your view on marriage and sexuality, it's old-fashioned. We have moved on from there. Waves that say your view of sin, that's too, way too strict. Come on, light, lighten up some. Or a wave that questions your own in integrity. Like, who do you think you are? You call yourself a believer, but you still sin. Those types of waves. And if we're in a rowboat amidst heavy waves, we feel like we've got to fight back each wave and, and fight for where we're going to be and defend ourselves. And that, that is true. We need to speak truth costs in for what it is and so forth but imagine instead of fighting from your rowboat you remembered oh yeah my actual citizenship where i actually live and where i'm from you're a citizen of god's heavenly kingdom your father owns the biggest yacht on the lake that's your position that's that's where he lives that's where you live you've got this citizenship there now does your defense look a little different? And I think waves look different from the deck of a nice big yacht and you see the pontoons and you're going, yep, yeah, that's, that's a wave. You kind of just, you deal gently with it, right? 
You're not in the rowboat like, I got to fight for this because it's just, I got to, you've got, you're, you're a citizen of God's kingdom. It looks different. I'm trying to bring that in. So our ability to be gentle and reasonable, to be meek, to be mild in our response to others as they persecute, as we face trials, whatever it is, is that we have a citizenship in heaven along with Jesus. The Lord is at hand. He's near. I've got this. If our joy is secure in Christ and our place of citizenship is secure in Christ, who's near us now than before, then we can let those turbulent waters can come of persecution, critique, of questioning. Even though it looks now looks like we're in a small rowboat, our Heavenly Father is near with His humongous yacht. And that's where we're from. That's our heritage, our home, our true home. So we can fight from our rowboat or we can show reasonableness, gentleness towards even our enemies because we have a sovereign God. Again, this is kind of, again, back to that seeing beyond, we have a sovereign God who reigns over each and every wave coming our way to our boat. We know Him. He reigns. He reigns even over what looks like someone getting away with it, persecuting us or maligning us or the gospel or God Himself or someone putting us down. And, and here we come back to, again, the example of Christ, have this mind of Christ. His humility all the way to the cross is our supreme example of meekness. And gen- I mean, if anybody... Christ, man, you, you guys have put me down the last. Well, judgment will come. It, it will come. He was gentle. He was meek. Well, we thought about planes, boats. I'm not going to go to trains, uh, automobiles. It's the last of illustration. But let me just end with this today as we think through this section to rejoice in God's nearness. question for you is your flight path experiencing turbulence are you in that section where i was where your faith is up against the seat belt or maybe it's light chop today and you're going through that maybe bumped around because the joy of the maybe a couple things the joy of the things of earth just keep failing to produce any lasting peace i thought right fill in the blank i thought vacation would bring i thought this job i thought this amount of money whatever it is i thought i thought and you get bumped around because the turbulence is just like just it doesn't produce anything lasting. Perhaps you're bumped around and you're tossed around because people, people are not treating you as they should. They're hurtful. Lasting peace in turbulent times is found in rejoicing in God's nearness. So two things we can rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4, see beyond this particular event to the sovereign Lord who reigns over all. And we can also, verse 5, be reasonable, be gentle with others, for the Lord is near. Again, see beyond this particular event to the sovereign Lord who is over all. May we be a church who sees beyond to our God. Let me pray for us. Lord, we praise your name for you are a God whom we can see beyond. We can only see because of your mercy. You have opened, darkened eyes. You've opened just like you did in the miracles when you were 
Here on the earth, you open blind eyes. You open our eyes to see your wonders. Lord, when we face turbulence, strong turbulence, light turbulence of either people coming against us, maybe accusing us of things we we know we didn't do or we feel the guilt ourselves or we're tempted to find joy in something else. Lord, we just ask again, lead our eyes back to the one who says, you're mine, you're my possession. Because Help us to press on because as Paul says, Christ Jesus, you have made us your own. Lord, you're near. You are spatially near to us. You dwell in us by your spirit and your coming is near. May our hope, may our joy be in this. And may it be lasting. We pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.